You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you take your Bibles this morning, look at 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 this morning. We started our series on Kings last week. And just to give you a quick review of where we're at, 1 Kings answers the question of 2 Samuel, chapters 9 through about 20, who will succeed David? And we get to chapter 1, and it looks like the kingdom is being balanced on the edge of a knife blade. We, we don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's headed. And we saw from last week that Nathan steps in. By the grace of God, he comes, he confronts David and Bathsheba, and devise a plan as Adonijah has made himself king already. It was not for Adonijah to be the king. And so we pick up our story this morning, starting at verse number 41. Adonijah has had a party. He has proclaimed himself the king. Um, He finds out now that that was not David's wish or desire. He is not the anointed king. Instead, Solomon is. And so it sort of puts a damper on his party. We begin reading in verse number 41 this morning. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said... Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and you bring good tidings. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily our lord King David hath made Solomon king. And the king had sent with him Zodak the priest and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule, and Zodak the priest, and Nathan the prophet, have anointed him king in Gihon. And they are come up from thence, rejoicing, so that the city rang again. This is the noise that you have heard. And also, Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants came to bless our lord King David, saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. And also, thus saith the king, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, which hath given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid, and rose up, and went every man his way. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon, and rose and went and caught the hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me this day that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go home. This is the word of the Lord. To rehash the story this morning so we get a full effect of what's going on here, uh, Adonijah has thrown himself a party. He has announced himself the king. And it's the loudest party that any of them can, can recollect. It's, it's crazy. It's wild. They're walking around saying, Your Majesty, Adonijah, you're the new king. We're rubbing shoulders one with another. This is a great 
festive event. And as it's closing down and winding down, there's an uproar in the city. It's a great noise. It sort of shakes everything. And it's confusing to them. And Joab, the general, hears the sound of a trumpet. And for Job, that would mean something. In ancient times, especially in Israel's history, the blast of a trumpet was to gather people together to make an important announcement, to give information. It was also the signaling of a civil war. It was used sometimes to usher in a sabbatical year or to announce the year of jubilee and freedom. And so, so Joab hears this, and he, he detects this, and he right away knows something's awry, something's amiss in the kingdom. And so as they're discussing this, this one trumpet blast that will change everything, in comes Jonathan. He's the son of Abiathar, the, the priest. He's been there. He's witnessed something. And he comes in, and as he comes in, Adonijah sees him and says, Ha, this is good news. This is, this is Jonathan. He's a good man. He's a valiant man. He must be carrying good news for us. It's interesting, in verse 43, when he begins to talk to the, the, the king, Adonijah, he says, verily. And some texts translate that to say, no, this is not good news. Adonijah, I want you to know something. King David, our Lord, just made Solomon king. And now Solomon himself is sitting on the throne of David. And so this is announced, and Adonijah stands there, and Joab stands there, and Abiathar stands there, and all the guests hear this. And when they hear this message, this news from the trumpet blast, the blood drains out of their face. Their stomachs are physically sick because they know they're in real trouble. You ever been in real trouble? Like, I mean, you got caught. Anybody like that this morning? You you know what I'm talking about? Okay, the ones who are honest, all right? Some of you won't raise your hand because you you haven't got caught yet, and you know they're still looking for you, right? When I was a kid, we we, uh, grew up in the 70s and 80s, and there was a show back then called The Dukes of Hazzard. Anybody remember that? Uh, uh, Yes, all right, all right. Um, I'm not endorsing the show. We just watch it all the time. Entertaining, right? The General Lee. And one of the things that Bo and Luke would do is they'd run to their car and then roll across the hood of the car and jump in. Really cool to watch that happen. So when I was a teenager, I thought it would be a really cool idea to sort of just mimic what they did. Now listen to me. Science tells us now that the, what, it's the, the prefrontal cortex of the brain is the part of the brain that makes decisions. This is true, scientific fact. And, and that's the part that helps us understand, like, the long-term effects of something. We make judgments. And that's the part of the brain, true story, that is not developed in teenagers. I, I'm not lying. This, this, this is true. Teenagers, this is, this is immature yet. It's not fully developed until you're 25 years old, especially for men. True. And, and the part of the gray matter that teenagers use, there's a name for it, but what it does is this little almond-shaped gray matter is, is emotional. And so because this, this, this front, frontal cortex, prefrontal, is not developed yet, teenagers use their emotions to make decisions, and they don't think about the long-term effects because this gray matter is still really gray. Okay? That's why young people listen to me. I'm telling you something. 
when someone says, well, why did you do that to a teenager? say, I don't know, it's just I felt like I should. It's because this part is not developed yet, which reminds us, teenagers, you ought to listen to your parents because your brain is gray matter and mushy and not figured out yet. And I, Living proof. Teenager, I was probably 14 years old, thought this would be a good idea. So in our church parking lot on a Sunday night, church parking lot, about 1,500 people, a couple friends and I thought it would be a good idea to run and roll across the hoods of the cars. And it was a blast. I mean, it was just a blast. Now, don't do that in our parking lot, because listen to the rest of the story. So we did it, had a great time, and it was fun. We went home that night. And on Monday morning, I was then going to a Christian school. It must have been grade 9. And I got called down to the office. And for me, getting down called to the office, it, it wasn't you're getting an award. Right? There, there's something we want to tell you. You're doing a really good job. There's a scholarship available. I knew when my name was called, I was in trouble. Now, I didn't know for what yet. I just had a list of things that I thought it could be at the time. I sat down in Mr. Folger's office. He sat across from me and said, hey, someone came in and said, last night you were rolling on the hoods of cars in our park. And then when he said that, all the blood drained from my face. I was busted, caught, dead to right. I felt sick. And then he, he lectured me on value, worth, property, damage. And then he said, we're going to give you three swats this morning for what you've done. Those were the good old days. All right? He didn't ask my parents, didn't call anybody. I, I, so he said, before I do this, I want to know who were the other young, because my name was the only name that was given. Who are the other young guys that were involved in this? And I said, Mr. Folger, here are all their names. Pom, 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 pom. I wasn't going down. I just, there's something about being in trouble with everybody else, right? Um, I was a bad friend. I was a good friend. They needed a lesson. They needed to be paddled like me. Anyways, but, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a time when it's like, man, this comes up. It's like I was caught, and it's just sick. Now imagine Adonijah has just announced that he's the king. I'm the king. All his friends at the party are acknowledging he's the king. Your majesty, King AJ, you're the man. And now word comes out that Solomon is sitting on the throne. David has anointed him. The priests have anointed him. He is the man. It's acknowledged the whole kingdom is in an uproar, rejoicing at this. And now these guys know that what they have done is treason. It's treason. They're all, all of them, at this party, worthy of death. And so, when the news comes down, everyone slinks out of the party. It's over now. And they're making their way home and hiding out. And Adonijah understands that he's in real trouble. Real trouble. And so what he does is he runs Back into town, he finds where the tabernacle's at. He goes into the courtyard where the, the altar of, of burnt offerings is there, and he goes and he grabs hold of the, the horns of the altar. It was an elevated platform. It had four sides. It was in the eastern part of the tabernacle. And when he did that, what he was saying is, I know I'm in trouble. I know I need mercy. I'm coming here for protection because he's in trouble. And so Solomon finds out that Adonijah does not want to die today. Look at verse number 52 of our text. Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But 
If wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came, now watch this, and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go home. Which in itself is kind of humiliating, isn't it? Just a minute ago, they're high-fiving him for being the king. Now he's bowing down, and Solomon says, Go home. He is submitting now to the kingship of Solomon. Now let me ask you a question. Is Adonijah submitting to Solomon? Yes or no? No? What if you just read this portion of scripture? What would you say? If you're not like Judy Cameron who read before this, all right? I mean, he's bowing down before the guy, right? Doesn't it look externally like, hey, bad idea, need some mercy, I'm bowing down here, right? He is, he is physically doing the act of saying, Solomon, I recognize your God's anointed, you're the king, I am bowing before you, you're the man, I am not. This is what he's doing. What we don't know at this point, if it's real. And if we stopped there, we wouldn't know if it was real. But if you're Judy Cameron, you read ahead. Go to chapter 2. Starting at verse number 13 this morning. We'll fill in the blanks from chapter 2 uh, in a couple weeks. But here's the story picks up now in verse 13. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Now, just stop there for a second. What was the last thing that Solomon said to Adonijah? Go home. Go home. Okay, let me ask you a question. If someone says to you today, go home, where do you think you should go? Home. Do you know where your home's at, right? If you don't, you can, if, you, if you're driving around for a couple hours, call me. I'll tell you, okay? But we know where our home is. Go home. And now the first place we find Adonijah is not home. Not home. Now, I don't know if Bathsheba's still in the palace, but he's not home. He's either at Bathsheba's place, but I suspect he's back in the palace. Right? Go home. Well, he's not. He comes and he says to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, she says, are you coming peaceably? He said, peaceably. He said, moreover, I have somewhat to say to you. And she said, go ahead. He said, thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit, the kingdom is turned about, and is become my brother's, for he was, it was his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. He said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say no to thee, that he give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. Now, maybe we're not sure what he's doing here, Maybe some of you say, well, it's interesting. He just was crushed and devastated. He was going to be the king, and now he's really feeling bad for himself. And now what he's doing is just looking for a hot wife. Abishag. Remember Abishag from last week? The hot human water bottle? Remember her? She's still on the picture. So, so he says, listen, Bathsheba, if you would just ask Solomon, I just want one thing. Just one. Let me have her as my wife. 
And, and most people say, well, it's not a big deal. It's not so sinister. Maybe it's stupid, but it's not sinister. I would beg to differ with you. Remember this. Adonijah's the older brother. Right? In the normal course of events, he should be king. Not the right man, not anointed, but he's the older brother. Not only that, in, in these times, if you, if you took the wife of a king, in essence what you were saying is, this position as king is now mine. So mercy was not enough for Adonijah. He still wants it all. And this is a power play, I believe, for the kingdom. He, so he goes to Bathsheba, because what boy can tell his mom no? She'll, she won't deny you. You go and ask Solomon this one thing. And Bathsheba says, I will. And to Adonijah's destruction, Bathsheba keeps her word. We pick it up now in verse number 19. Bathsheba now goes, and Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right side. This is amazing. She sits right in the place of authority next to her son. Solomon respected his mother. She sits right next to him. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. Don't say no to me. And the king said to her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee no. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, thy brother, to wife. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Bathsheba is just asking this question and she's oblivious to what how Solomon will respond? I don't think so, though. You moms here, right? You know how each one of your children usually will respond in a situation. I mean, you know them, you see them, you know, oh, he's tired, temper tantrum coming. You, you have these things figured out. And I'm telling you something, I think Bathsheba knew exactly what she was doing because her life was already on the line. Do you remember what she said? To David, if Adonijah is king, then Solomon and I are done. We're finished. And I really do think that she knew exactly what she was doing here, and she knew how Solomon would respond when she said, hey, just a small little request. Why don't you let Adonijah take Abishag to be his wife? Here's what happens when Solomon hears this, right? And King Solomon answered, verse 22, unto his mother, and why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, even for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah, all the guys at the party who could have backed him up on my overthrow. Then King Solomon swear by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore... As the Lord liveth, which hath established me, and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me an house and a promise, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. 
And Adonijah loses his life. She dies as a fool. Told one thing, it wasn't enough. He wanted it all. Sex, power, kingdom, ruling, reigning. He wanted to be king. And so he comes in the beginning, and it looks as if he submitted to the, to the kingship of Solomon. But the truth is, it was external. There was nothing going on in his heart and in his mind. He was still the king, still deserved to be the king, and he would have this kingdom no matter what. His submission was all external. It wasn't true. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. Alexander Sultanitsyn wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago. And in the book, it talks about the Bolshevik Revolution in the 1920s under Lenin, where they toppled the government. And, and when they toppled the government, um, Lenin later died, and Stalin took his place. And so when this happened about 1924, and, and Solzhenitsyn writes about all of this in, in what he calls the secret country, um, when this happens, there was this purging that took place in the country. Because right? they're, they're going to usher in this Marxist-Leninism, which is always a bad idea. These kids, you need to know history. Anytime communism or this like social Marxism starts marching, bodies always pile up, just so that you know that. I don't think we understand what we have in our country and our nation, the things that we enjoy. We just want to overthrow capitalism or, or whatever. i got to tell you, there's some really bad governments out there. And this was one of them. And what happened was, overnight, thousands of people were arrested and imprisoned or executed. Thousands. And they started arresting everybody. If you, if you looked cross-eyed, they could take you in the middle of the night and arrest you. This was the, the scene. This was what it was like in the 1920s in Soviet Russia. And, and, and he writes about an incident where they had this sort of town meeting, and the secretary of that district um, wanted to honor Joseph Stalin. So the place is packed. All the residents are there. And so he says, let's honor Comrade Stalin. Everyone stood up and started to applaud, right, because they just love Stalin. They applauded for three minutes for four minutes, for five minutes. Can you imagine standing up for five minutes applauding? And and the district secretary could have stopped it, but he dare not. He just took the place of the guy who was in prison because they weren't sure if he was a true follower of Stalin. So he just got put in this office. So after nine minutes of a standing ovation, think about it, hands raised, Clapping, woohoo! We love Stalin, woohoo! After nine minutes, they're all still applauding. Until finally, the director of a paper company, an elderly man, who by the time was exhausted, in a very businesslike manner, sat down. And when he sat down, magically, everyone stopped applauding and everyone sat down. And later that night, he was arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And when he asked what the problem was, here's what they said. Never be the first to stop applauding. (laughs) How does that end? Right? So the truth is, they really didn't like Stalin. The circumstances made it so we love you, we're clapping, we're applauding, we submit to this government, we submit to you. We love Joseph Stalin. And the truth is, they didn't. They didn't have a choice. Adonijah bends his knee, but not his heart. He will not have any part of this kingdom. 
And again, we're not just talking about, oh, it's the Davidic kingdom. This is the line where the Messiah would come, where one would come to rule and reign and make all things right. This is God's anointed king. And Adonijah says no. He says no. He submits externally, but not internally. So some questions this morning as we think about Adonijah's life. Number one, for us to ponder, as we think about this situation, his false submission, the losing of his life. Number one, who's your king? Who's your king? You say, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. We don't have a king. We have a prime minister. Down south, they have a president. No king. No, when I ask you who's your king, I'm speaking about final authority in your life. Who's your king? Well, amen. Because you only have two options. You only have two. Your king this morning is either Jesus Christ or it's you. I don't care what you say, how you slice it, how you try to finagle. The fact is, if you do not bend the knee to Jesus Christ, you are the king of your own kingdom. That's exactly what Adonijah did. I, I will give it some you know, lip service. I'll bow now, but the truth is, uh-uh, Solomon's not my king. The anointed one, not my king. Jesus Christ, God's anointed, is king. Listen to these verses, and, and they would be worthwhile to sort of memorize some of these. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which is really a good text, which you think about who Christ is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted his name, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friend this morning, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. This man will not reign over me. I will be my own king. I will have my own rules. I will do my own thing. Whatever you say, whatever you believe, it does not matter because this morning, Jesus Christ is king. He's king. It doesn't, he is king. Listen to Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. And John gets a glimpse of the future for us this morning. I love the song that was sung by the men's group. We win, man. We, we win. Look what John says in John, uh, Revelation 19, starting at verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, with which he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thighs a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And listen, no matter what you think, it doesn't change the fact. There are only two kings. 
there's only one anointed. It is not Mohammed, it's not Mary Baker Eddy, it's not Joseph Smith, it's not any of them. It is Jesus Christ. He is king and he will reign. And so the question is, who is your king? And if it's not Christ, I got to tell you, it's you. We put ourselves on the throne of our own lives. We are our own kings, our own kingdoms, a rule unto ourselves. I will do what I want, when I want. I will use what I want, how I want. I will be king. It's a mess. And everyone becomes our servant then. We use and abuse people, right? You say, I, 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 I'm not, I don't have a kingdom. I don't. Listen, ask yourself this. What makes you angry? Your sister, your brother, okay, hold on to that thought, okay? Um, that's really nice. See, I can hear stuff from up here. I can see, too. I see what's going on. I see people sleeping. I see it all, okay? All seeing, all knowing from this platform. Um, what makes you angry? Someone cuts you off? Someone changes your schedule? Why? Because you're a king of your own universe, right? It's what affects you. It affects me. My desires, what I want, what I can't have. And I get angry about it. Why? Because you're the king of your universe, and listen, this is the way life is for people. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writes there, and here's what he says. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and, and envy, hateful and hating one another. One another. Living for ourselves, using people. We're our own king, our own queens. It is empty, hollow, and eternally destructive. Because sooner or later, what happened to Adonijah will happen to you. The trumpet will sound. One trumpet will change everything. And when it sounds, you will realize you're not the king of your own universe. You're not the queen of your own universe. You have no universe to rule over. There is one king, and you will be exposed as a thief and a fraud. And if you're without Christ, you will be eternally lost. And if you are with Christ, and you've been putting yourself on the throne, all of your kingdom rewards will crumble. So, real important question this morning. Hey, Adonijah, who's your king? either God's anointed or it's you. And the problem is you cannot have them both, right? It speaks to our final authority. Either it's Christ or it's not. Number two, let me talk to believers now strictly. If Jesus Christ is your king, do you submit to him? There's a statement that we should not make as believers. And it's this. No, Lord. No, Lord. Because if he's your Lord, you can't say no. If you say no, he's not your Lord. Too many believers. Raise our hand on Sunday. Live how you want on Monday. Why? Oh, King Jesus is my king. But there's this external thing going on that I feel really good on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I will do what I like to do, whatever pleases me, whatever is convenient for me, but don't call me to do anything that I don't want to do. There's a problem with that, because submission is kingdom language. Submission says, I recognize that Jesus Christ is my king. When we get saved, our salvation is submitting to his righteousness, because we don't have any speaks to a changed identity, a new people, a new family, a new nation in Christ. We're called to submit 
to him. So who's your king? Do you submit to Jesus Christ? There's a statement that I've been told over the last several years. It actually came from Ian Cameron. And I'm not sure if it came from his mother or from his father or from his pastor or he just made it up. I don't know. He can make stuff up all the time. He says, boy, speaking to me, do what you're told. Right? Where'd that come from, Ian? Mother. His mother was a wise woman. She once said to Ian, hold your head up, son. There's nothing in it. And that's good advice. Do what you're told. Believer, this morning, listen to me. As a subject of the king of the universe, who will rule and reign with a rod of iron, who will make all of this right, do what you're told. Just, if he says go home, go home. He says, come home. Come home. If he convicts you of sin and you know you're wrong, then agree with him. And say, Lord, you're right. I'm, no more excuses. I'm done with this. If you blow it and have to talk to somebody, say yes, Lord, and talk to them. As if we're not sinners. <laughs> Never do anything wrong. Come on, man. I have to do this on I have to do this on an almost a daily basis. Last week I had to call a guy and say, hey brother, you know what? I said something I should have said to you. You know why? Because I was convicted about it. If he says give, then give. If he says go, then go. If he says witness, then witness. He is our king. And, and we don't have a right to give this false sense of allegiance on Sunday morning and then do what we want Monday through Saturday. That's not the Christian life. He's our Lord. He's our King. We are His slaves. And so, who's your King speaks of final authority. Are we submitting to Christ? Speaks of a false submission. When I name the name of Christ and do my own thing, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And then finally, I wanted you to see that from this story of Solomon, we see the finest King yet to come. Look at Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Matthew 12 and verse number 42. Jesus speaking about the queen of the south. Verse number 42 says this. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Who's your king? Do you submit to him and understand that today a greater than Solomon is here? A greater than Solomon. Solomon says to Adonijah, the offender, hey, listen, if you go home and you live a worthy life, you won't be condemned to die. Can I tell you something? A greater than Solomon is here. Because he didn't say to you and I, go home and get it right. Go fix it up. Do something for yourself. Because we're condemned already. 
He didn't come to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. You and I are sinners and rebels against the God and King of the universe. We are condemned. We're all in trouble. And Jesus Christ, the greater Solomon, didn't come and say, listen, clean up your act and I'll get back with you and maybe you'll be okay. This king doesn't do that. This king does? Listen to Romans chapter 5. Verse number 6. For when we're yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would one even dare to die. But God commendeth his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we had no hope. There's a greater than Solomon. He doesn't tell you, go be a worthy man, go be a worthy woman, go to church, do the rules, get baptized, give money, then we'll talk about it. He says, no, you're condemned, you're in trouble, you have no hope, and so I'll put a crown on my head. Not a crown of gold right now. It was a crown of thorns. I'll march to Calvary. I will take your place. I will die in your stead. This is our king. A greater than Solomon has come. Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Speaking about the believer. And he says in verse number 14. For the love of Christ constrains us or compels us or arrest us. This king, greater than Solomon, his love compels, constrains, it arrests me, it captures me. Why? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, then they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is your king. We ought to submit to him because he is greater than Solomon. We ought to submit to God first because he's God. But not only that, he's good. He's good. And so the question is this morning for believers who understand this. Yes, Jesus is my king, my final authority. I don't want this false submission. I see he's the finest, the, the greater than Solomon. And here's the question this morning. We know this. So why don't we submit to him? Why don't we with love embrace what he has for us? Why? I would submit to you this morning, there are lots of reasons, but I think maybe the biggest reason is fear. So I saw a wise man in our Bible study this week, and he said, um, often we're on the wrong side of fear. Right? Because the fear of God's a good thing, but the fear of man's a snare. It was a wise man who said that, by the way. Very wise man. And I think in our lives, we're on the wrong side of fear. God tells us to do something that is clear. What it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a father, a dad. What salvation means, what baptism means, what church membership. He, he talks, this is what the word says. And it's like, yeah, I know. Witness, be a witness, give, whatever it is. I know, but Lord, I'm afraid if I do this, I'm going to lose. I'll be made fun of. I'll be uncomfortable. And it's the wrong side of fear. The truth is, perfect love casts out fear. We have a king who died for us, who has our best interests in mind, and he tells us things for his glory and, and our good. And so let me encourage you this morning. We look at Adonijah and say, what a fool. 
But how many times in our own life, it's external, doing the stuff, going through the motion, but the truth is, no, Lord. Not me. I'll do this, this, and that. But I don't do windows. I don't do toilets. That is below me. No, you can't do that. And I would encourage each and every one of us to jump on the right side of fear. There's nothing to fear from a king who gives his life for you. Gave his life for you. Casting Crowns has a song. It's Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And there's just a part in this that I think speaks to this. They say, let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You love every lost cause. You reach for the outcast, for the leper and the lame. They're the reason that you came. Lord, I was the lost cause, and I was the outcast, but you died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. You are good. You are good. And your love endures forever. And if we would see Jesus Christ, our King, as a greater than Solomon, who is good, who is good, he came for me. I should be a grateful leper at his feet, thanking him and praising him and serving him and submitting to him. And I should do it with joy and gladness because a greater than Solomon is here.